you take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, if you will. We have three children. We have a daughter who's 38. Her name is Amy. She is single. She's a foster mom. In fact, she's had a same little boy for about two years and four months. His name is Alex. We have our daughter, Lisa, who's 36, who is the mother of the four grandchildren. Uh, they are 10, 8, 5, and 1 and a half. And then we have a son, who's our youngest, who's 28, and he's married. They do not have children yet. And they live, respectively, in North Carolina for our oldest. And uh, Lisa and Tyler and Mark lives in Oregon. And uh, which, in my opinion, might be one place worse than California. I'll leave that alone. But our girls were quite compliant growing up. And I would say, be like your mom. And they were, you know, they would obey and didn't have to spank them much. And uh, we were blessed. And then we had a son. And uh, it was hard to tell him, be like your mom. And uh, I, I don't think I ever one time raised my voice to my daughters. I did to my son. And uh, it was it was a challenge. And I'm going, I've been in ministry 30 years. I've got to earn doctorate. You're 15 years old. You're arguing with me. What in the world is going on here? But we have so many, many great sermon illustrations which came out of rearing our son. And uh, many of them. And I'll share the funniest one tonight. So come back tonight. You will not believe it. And no matter what your kids have ever done, what my son did was worse. So I'll tell you that story tonight. <laughs> But I learned that I did not know all the answers. And my son is not a vegetarian. He is a carnivore. He likes meat. I like meat. And when we have a special meal, once in a great while, we might get to grill some ribeye steaks out on the barbecue. And uh, my wife will make twice-baked potatoes with that. Uh, she'll make my favorite dessert, homemade German chocolate cake from scratch. Not out of the box, from scratch, with some vanilla ice cream. Usually a seven-layer salad, some asparagus. And for years, I would, well, for years, I have always traveled every summer. We literally lease our house out from May the 7th till August the 7th. And we go and I travel. I usually speak somewhere six days a week, take Mondays off. And uh, at the very end of that, we'll go on vacation for about two weeks. And we're just gone. Well, when my kids were still at home, I was still traveling. I would come home in the middle for about two weeks, spend time with them. And my wife would usually fix me that my favorite meal before I would go out on the road again. And she was doing this on a Saturday night. And we had that exact meal. We had the ribeye steaks. We had the twice-baked potatoes. We had the asparagus, the seven-layer salad. We finished off with the German chocolate cake. We have a lot of people come to our home. We have lived in our current house for about 10 years. We've had over 7,000 people over for meals. So ones you would know, we had Brother Marty Moon, his son and daughter, and people from his church were there for a cookout at my house in the last two weeks. That's when we had Bryn and Trent over as well. Uh, we had three different times we had people over last week. We had three different times the people the week before. Every Tuesday night, we have 20 to 25 freshmen come to our home. We do the same meal every time. We don't have to think about it. Uh, I grilled chicken breast sandwiches with barbecue sauce, crispy hickory smoked bacon with cheddar cheese and a buttered brioche bun with macaroni and cheese, potato casserole chips, finished off with a Giardelli brownie and ice cream. It's uh, a low-carb keto meal. And uh, <laughs> I have made thousands of those. We do the same meal. We, don't think we do it every single time. And uh, it's different, different groups we have over. But that's what we do for the students every week. Uh, they get to get out of the dining hall food and come to someone's home. And we get to know them and uh, that type of thing. 
and we like to have people over. Well, that particular day, we had someone over. I don't remember the boys' day, but there was four of us at the table. Our girls were already gone, and my wife made that meal. We prayed before we ate. That's what Christians do. And uh, we thanked the Lord for the food. We sat down to eat. And I looked at that meal. I looked at the seven-layer salad, the asparagus, the potatoes, but I started on the ribeye steak, as did my son. But he took too large of a bite, and he started gagging and choking on it. Well, being his father, of course I was concerned. So eating only with my right hand, I began to pat him on the back with my left hand. But it did not seem to alleviate the situation, and he went over the sink, he made all kinds of horrific, retching sounds I will not try to replicate this morning. And finally he stopped, I said, are you okay? He said, yes, sir, I'm okay. I said, can you breathe? He goes, he tries it. <laughs> yes, I can breathe. He was about 12 years of age at the time. I said, well, come back over and sit down. He said, okay. He came back over and sat down. He just sat there and started staring at his food. I said, well, eat your food. He said, I can't eat. I said, son, I said, what you have is a psychosomatic illness. You just felt like you had a near-death experience. You're afraid to swallow right now. Now, we've all heard this. When you fall off a horse, what do you do? Get back on it. So I said, just go ahead and eat. You'll be fine. He said, dad, I can't swallow. I said, son, you can swallow. You're talking to me. You're reading. You're talking. He said, I can't swallow. And then he did something extremely disgusting. Maybe like your great-grandmother who used to chew snuff. He started spitting in his cup at the table. I'm going, this is disgusting. I said, please excuse yourself. I wasn't happy. I told my wife, I said, we had a rule in our family. If you don't want to eat it for dinner, you can eat it for breakfast. Because we are mercy givers. I said, he can have that for breakfast. Well, we spent the night. I was preaching somewhere that Sunday that I was flying out early Monday morning. And uh, that morning he said, I can't swallow. I said, I cannot swallow. Well, we drove down to the church. I was actually preaching for my brother. It was about 70 miles away, and he was out of town. And I preached for him, preached the early service, preached Sunday school, preached the second service. Then we went to one of my brother's houses, and this brother has a particular gift. His gift is barbecuing. And that day, he had ribs, he had tri-tip, which is a particular cut they have on the West Coast, and he had brisket. He had three different charcoal grills going, and all God's people said, Amen. exactly. Thank you, men, for appreciating that. Okay. Well, my son loves meatless barbecue, and he says, I can't swallow. Well, I tried to Heimlich him, and boy, if I Heimlich you, you have been Heimlicked. I worked at a restaurant in St. John, Indiana when I was going to college and I was cooking in the back. I worked in the same restaurant for seven years, three years as a student, four years after I graduated, went to from six days a week to three days a week and they said, Diana is choking and she just passed out. And it was a girl named J Diane Jackham. She was tiny, maybe five one, five two, and she had choked on a tri-tip sandwich, a beef dip sandwich. And I ran out there and she was purple. And she was laying on the floor. I said, help me get her up. I got behind her. I did the Heimlich. And man, that meat came shooting out of her. It had a parabolic arch. People started crap clapping. I said, thank you. Thank you very much. It was great. <laughs> so I Heimlich my son, nothing. Well, in our family, there's six boys. And we're all, as you know, a little bit larger than normal. I am not the biggest one. I have one brother who's six foot eight with a size 16 shoe. 
You haven't seen a foundation like that since the Statue of Liberty. And uh, so we decide to hold them upside down and inveigle some gravity. We're whacking them on the back. Nothing comes out. I said, you're fine. He doesn't eat. We finish lunch, and my wife says to me, ladies, listen to how she handles us. She says, sweetheart, I'm sure you're right, but I think maybe we ought to take him to the doctor. I said, I preach in the evening service at 5 o'clock. I said, it's 3 o'clock. I said, there's no way you'll be back. She said, I'll take him. I said, okay. So she took him to the hospital. Well, I'm watching for him during the service. Song service, announcements. I get up and preach. Invitation, no sign of him. Shaky hands afterwards, no sign. Finally, finally, I see him coming. Everything, she said, everything's okay. He has surgery tomorrow. There was meat stuck in his esophagus. He really couldn't swallow. He was dehydrated. They put him on an IV. I quickly realized I don't know all the answers. But I do know one of the reasons why we should have a missions conference. That is because everyone will spend eternity somewhere forever. Our text this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And the word of God says this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And the Bible says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The Bible goes on and says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We read the story in Luke chapter 16, that it came to pass that the beggar died. It was carried by the angels at Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. We will all spend eternity somewhere forever. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray you be with us these next 20 or 25 minutes. I pray you help us to realize the great need for a missions conference, the great need for missionaries, the fact that everyone we meet will spend eternity somewhere forever. Lord, I acknowledge publicly that in this, as, as in all other things, I desire and need your help. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. We know that the arm of flesh will fail us, but your arm fails not. And Lord, we want to lean on the everlasting arms. Lord, I ask for your help today. We promise to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for any good that happens. I thank you for the Gospel Baptist Church. I thank you for its preacher and his faithfulness for three decades. I pray you bless him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have taught history at the college level for 42 years. I'm teaching a class right now called 20th Century American History. I don't really cover the 21st century. We're now 20 years into it. But I think if you were to look at the first 20 years of this century, Two dates would stand out, 9-11 and 2020. I don't think we'll ever forget those dates. Now, for some who are younger, these missionaries, 9-11 doesn't mean as much to them. 
2020, your sister pastor was so right. A year ago right now, Donald Trump was saying, we want to get people back in churches by Easter. Remember that? Wow. 500,000 people passed an eternity in our nation. Some that I knew. It's been quite a year. And maybe more so than any other year, it's reminded me of death. If you're a sports fan, and I am, in 2020, on January the 1st, David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, passed away. January the 26th, I remember when I was told this, when Kobe Bryant went down on a helicopter. 20-year player for the Los Angeles Lakers. When my son was little, I loved to take him there and watch him play. Curly Deal of the Harlem Globetrotters on March the 26th. Don Shula, a Floridian for you. The last and only undefeated NFL team of our generation, 1972 as I remember, passed away on May the 4th. And for you gourmands, Shula Steakhouse. John Thompson, the first African-American coach of Georgetown University to ever win a national title, passed away August 30th. Tom Seaver, a Hall of Fame pitcher for the Mets and later for the Reds, passed away on August the 31st. If you're a baseball fan, you'd know the name of Lou Brock, an amazing base stealer. The St. Louis Cardinals passed away on September the 6th. And I'm dating myself some, but one of the greatest runners of all time with a very short career, Gail Sayers, the Chicago Bears, passed away on September 23rd. Most people would list him as one of the five greatest pitchers of the modern era. Bob Gibson, the St. Louis Cardinals, passed away on October the 2nd. Whitey Ford, Hall of Fame pitcher of the New York Yankees, passed away on October the 8th. And in my teenage years, Joe Morgan of the Big Red Machine, the second baseman, National League MVP, passed away on October the 11th. This last year in entertainment, Buck Henry, the co-writer of the TV program Get Smart, passed away in January. Mary Higgins Clark, very famous novelist, passed away on January 31st. Dating ourselves, Kirk Douglas from Spartacus and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea passed away in February the 5th. Robert Conrad, the star of the old TV show The Wild Wild West, passed away in February the 8th. Jack Welch, you may not know him, but he was picked as the CEO of the century for General Electric, passed away in March 1. A great Christian singer, Kenny Rogers, no wind to fold him, <laughs> passed away on March the 20th. Regis Philbin, as in Regis and Kathy Lee, passed away on July the 24th. And another show I enjoyed called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Sean Connery, James Bond, passed away on October 31st. And probably my favorite TV show of all time. A host of 8,200 episodes of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, passed away on November the 8th. In news and politics, Jim Lear, anchor of NewsHour and PBS, passed away in January. And Hugh Downs, 10,000 hours of network news. And you might remember 2020 with Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters. 
John Lewis, the famous civil rights activist, a U.S. senator, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, passed away on September the 18th. And a guy who's a real hero in the Antelope Valley where I live, Chuck Yeager, the first one to ever break the speed of sound in a plane that he named after his wife called the Glamorous Glennis back in 1947. He went into eternity on Pearl Harbor Day on December the 7th. Fame, fortune, accomplishments, but they have one thing in common today. They are all in eternity. A place that we will all go as well. My wife has taught me a little statement that we ought to live with eternity's values in view. We ought to learn to hold loosely to the things of this world. Because everyone will spend eternity somewhere forever. That's why we have a missions conference. I hope today to remind you of a few things with this in mind. First of all, today I want to remind you that life is brief. The Bible says that life is like a vapor. I will turn 64 years of age in the month of May. When I turned 50, I went to one of my favorite places to shop. It's rather extravagant. It's called Walmart. It was our number three expense in our family last year. We track what we spend. Walmart was number three. Our mortgage was number two. Our church was number one. But I went there and I bought a very expensive flower vase. I think I paid $4 for it. I think I have a picture of it here coming up on the screen. And uh, hopefully they can find that. I bought that vase and I wanted to buy marbles. But marbles were expensive, and being a Baptist preacher, I wanted something less expensive. So I bought these little beads that are inside that vase. They're for putting flowers in, so you hold them in place. They were very cheap. Uh, they didn't tell you how many were in each little, they were little plastic bags with a zip around it. And I poured them all on the table. I said, son, we're going to count these out. And I counted out 1,040 beads, and I put them in that vase. What did that represent? I figured at the age of 50, if the Lord would allow me to preach and teach till I was 70, I would have 1,040 weeks, which translates into 7,280 days. As I wrote this message, I did the math. Guess what? 720 of those weeks are gone. There's only 320 left. And I hope the Lord will allow me, if he tarries, to go beyond 70, but about 5,100 days are gone. Only 2,180 are left. Time is passing. The volume of beads is going down. Why would I do that? I put that there on my dresser and sat there now for 14 years. Because the psalmist said in Psalm 90, verse number 12, so teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. 
a reminder that life is brief. I have an illustration here of how your life will be spent. Summary was taken. This is for a typical lifespan of 70 years. Sleeping, 23 years, 32.9%. Working, 16 years, 22%. TV, 8 years, 11.4%. Eating, 6 years, 8.6%. Travel, 6 years, 8.6%. Leisure, 4.5 years. Six and a half percent. Illness, four years, 5.7%. Getting dressed, this is for the women, just kidding, just kidding. Two years, 2.8%. Religion, church, 0.5%. 0.5 years or 0.7%. For a total of 70 years. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I was preaching a funeral two weeks or three weeks ago this last Friday. And the man who passed away was about my age. And I said, you know what Mike Kinn's father would want you to know? He would want you to know about the brevity of life. Do you remember when you were little how long a year seemed from one birthday to another, from one Christmas to another? I finally figured that out. If I went for four to five years of age, that was 20% of my entire life. Now it's one and a half percent. It's like a shutter's wing. The time just clicks by. The average lifespan of adult butterfly is two weeks. David and Bathsheba's son lived only seven days. We have a dormitory named after a young lady whose parents I taught my Sunday school class in Knoxville, who was in my wife's Sunday school class. She got a two-year secretarial degree and got married and came to work for us in the discipleship ministry and died of cancer at 24. But God knows. My mom was a wonderful Christian lady, the first Christian ever in her home, responsible for seeing her parents been saved. Never smoked, never drank, kissed one man her entire life, was the mother of seven children, a pastor's wife, and God called her home via cancer in her 50s. We don't know how long we're going to have. But we do know we will spend eternity somewhere forever. Someone once asked Billy Graham, what is your greatest surprise in life? He said the brevity of life, and he lived to be 99. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Proverbs, God's wisdom book, written by Solomon. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. It says in Proverbs 27 verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I've challenged college students for decades. Serve God now. You don't know how long you'll have. There's a young lady who worked for me when I was a college administrator in Crown Point, Indiana, many years ago. 
And I oversaw the yearbook. She worked at the yearbook office. She was wonderful. Great worker. At some point in time, her junior, senior year, she fell in love and got engaged and got married the week after school was over. They went on a brief honeymoon and loaded up to go to ministry in Arkansas. They didn't have much. They had a little tiny trailer behind their car and they headed off to ministry. Somewhere on the way, there was a massive fog bank and a giant chain collision involving over 60 cars. And both that young lady and her husband were killed that day. They never had a chance to get to ministry. I have no doubt she was glad that she did what she could when she could. The Bible says the days of our years are three score and ten, and if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Everyone will spend eternity somewhere forever. One man said, life is like a day. We have the dawn, the morning, the midday, the after, the twilight, the night. Which is why Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We do not know what our life will end, but we do know that God wants us to redeem the time. I am an educator and a preacher. I am not a big fan of video games. To me, they seem somewhat like the polar opposite of redeeming the time. And I'm not saying if someone plays an hour a week, that's fine. That's some amusement. But God says redeem the time to make our time count for him. Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days. James 4.14 says, for what is life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while, then vanisheth away. Ecclesiastes says there is a time to be born and a time to die. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 2. So we have to understand, first of all, there is a brevity of life. Secondly, this morning, I want to point out that we need to be reminded that death is not the end. It's not the end. Job asked a rhetorical question. I read this last week in 14, verse 14. If a man die, shall he live again? We know he will. The agnostics, the atheists, materialists, and humanists say death is the end. I have a book that I brought with me. It's my prayer book. And every semester I get all of my students, I give a quiz the first day of class. The quiz is to give me three prayer requests. And they get an A if they give me three prayer requests. They get a zero if they don't give me any. I then have a secretary put their picture in there with their prayer requests, and I go through that notebook, and I did it yesterday on the plane. And one young man, I pointed out to my wife that this young man has a brother who's an atheist and a sister who's an agnostic. He's graduating from West Coast Baptist College this year. Those people say, well, when you die, that's it. No. It's appointed that man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Some say you cannot know. But my friend, you can know. Death is not the end, it is the beginning. It's the beginning. And I'm going to say this, you can't scare me with heaven. There's a man I preached for at the Faith Baptist Tabernacle in Sacramento, California, who this week underwent heart surgery. He had four bypasses. I've written him twice, I texted him this morning. He can't really type well. He, he can sit back a heart emoji and say, I want you to know I'm praying for you. 
Brother Crichton saw me, a good friend who I greatly respect, he and Mrs. Crichton, what faithful people you have here in your midst. And we talked about a friend of ours, Rich Zalowski, who went on a trip overseas. He's been in Dubai at the hospital for three weeks with COVID and double pneumonia. He really wondered if he'd make it. He hopes to get out tomorrow and build his... I talked to him on the phone this week. He could barely talk. I said, Rich, just get well. Listen to the doctor. He's my age. We were roommates in 1977. He's a good friend. Five of his daughters attended our college. I recommend him to the church where he's pastoring today. I speak for him every summer when I'm on vacation. But you never know. But can I say this for the Christian and for the unsaved alike? Death is not a period. It's a comma. Something happens after that. The Apostle Paul actually looked forward to it. He told his preacher boy, his son of the faith, Timothy, he said, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all those who love his appearing. Job asked the question, If a man dies, shall he live again? Five chapters later, he says in Job chapter 19, yet in my flesh I shall see God. What a wonderful thing. So we have to realize that death is not the end. It's not the end. But thirdly, this morning I want to point out that there is a promise of life after death. I have taught a course of the history of World War II. In March of 1942, March the 11th specifically, Douglas MacArthur left his troops behind on the island of Corregidor in the Philippines and made a promise. He said, I shall return. Different authors have different takes on this. In the classic book, American Caesar by William Manchester, Manchester says his men believed he would come back. And over two years later, on October the 20th, 1944, two years and seven months later, he waded ashore with his corncob pipe and his khakis. He said this, People of the Philippines, I have returned. Ladies and gentlemen, there's someone else who has promised that he will return. And his name is Jesus. What an encouraging thought that is. He said in John chapter 14, verse number 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a blessing. A place of no sickness, no sorrow, no hearing aids, no walkers, no cancer, no diabetes, no arthritis, and no darkness, a place of no death. Every culture that I have ever studied have sought immortality. When people came to the new world, they looked for a fountain of life. The Egyptians had their mummies, their sarcophagi, and their incredible treasures piled by with food and weapons, sometimes even chariots, for their next life. The Indians had their sacred burial grounds. They too were buried with pots and food, and 
weaponry. All getting ready for the afterlife. But can I tell you as a Christian, there's a home prepared for us. That's where we're going. I would not have you ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others that have no hope. We've had a very unusual semester. In, in all my years of teaching, 42 years now at the college level, I don't think I've ever seen this. This semester, we've had four students lose a parent. Now, it's common to lose a grandparent, but a parent? Amazing. And I've written each of those young people a card. I said, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We know we can see them again. Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Can I say this? I know many, if not all, of you are saved. If you're a visitor today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can come to know him today. The greatest decision we could ever make in life is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. To know for sure we're on our way to heaven. The second most important decision I made was to marry my wife, Susan. That was a huge decision in my life. Has greatly impacted the last 40 years of my life. But it pales in insignificance into knowing we'd be in eternity with the Lord forever. That's why there's a great commission. Go ye therefore. And that's why we support missionaries. That's why we have a bus ministry. That's why we hand out gospel tracts. I close with this this morning. Rather, you're 1927 in Ghana, West Africa, a blood specimen was taken from a man who was very sick. His name was Asibi, A-S-I-B-I. He was sick with yellow fever. Uh, from this blood sample, a strain of the yellow fever virus, now named after him, called the Asibi virus, was identified. After years of testing on monkeys, mice, and chicken embryos, that blood sample was developed into a vaccine. A Sibi recovered. And all the vaccines for yellow fever that have been developed since 1927 derive from that original strain of virus that ran through his body. This humble native has been responsible for the salvation of the lives of many. Carried down to the present day from one laboratory to another through repeated cultures and exponential multiplication, it has offered immunity to literally millions of people around the world. Through the creative imagination of science, the blood of one man in West Africa has been made to prolong and improve the lives of so many in the human race. But in order to receive that benefit, people had to receive the yellow fever vaccine. They could acknowledge the existence of the vaccine. They could believe the vaccine works. They could rejoice in the marvel of the provision and be happy that so many were helped by the vaccine. But unless they actually receive the vaccine, it will not benefit them. My friends, immunity from the penalty of sin works the very same way. The blood of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Provide salvation to every person. By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men. Romans chapter 5, verse number 18. We can acknowledge that God exists. 
We can understand the finer points of doctrine and be amazed at God's provision and praise Jesus for it. But unless we personally receive the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will do us no good. By the way, his vaccine never runs short. I know this week we loaned a million doses to Canada and Mexico. There's enough for everyone who has ever lived. 1 John 6.37 says, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And by the way, there's only one side effect for this vaccine. It's a new life in Jesus Christ. He promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you accept that heavenly immunity today if you have not done so? If you have done so, will you help to share that heavenly immunity, both here and around the world? Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that are contained therein. Lord, I pray that you'll bless during this invitation time. I pray you'll have your will in your way. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.